This is an Eye on Annapolis special update. Right, good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Lisa Felt. I'm the new Vice President for Environmental Protection and Restoration at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. I just started this job three months ago, so don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> you can't ask me any questions anyway. Um, but I'm really honored to have uh, all of you here and have the current uh, county executive here as well to join us for this candidate forum. Um, my job before this was I was Director of Environmental Protection at Montgomery County, so I really know the import of local issues and uh, the challenges that every jurisdiction has on the local level, so I'm really glad to see this come out in the county that I now live in, which is Anne Arundel County, South <coughs> County, so really happy to be here. So, our headquarters this evening, the Philip Merrill Center. Uh, I'm presuming many of you have been here before. It's really an incredibly beautiful, sustainable building, so welcome. Uh, and I'd like to uh, introduce uh, the interns that were by taking a moment to thank Mr. Pittman and County Executive Chu for attending this evening. I also want to thank our volunteers and our staffs who made this event possible and thank our co-sponsors, the Alliance for Livable Communities and the Anne Arundel League of Women Voters Education. And I'll have to tell my folks to lower the microphone for me next time. <laughs> Just teasing Eric. <laughs> I also want to thank our moderator for the evening, Josh Davidsberg. Josh is an accomplished journalist and filmmaker who is currently a faculty member of the Philip Merrill College of Journalism and at the University of Maryland. We greatly appreciate his contributions to ensuring that this event is educational, fair, balanced, and informative. I do need to note that as a 501c3 not-for-profit charitable organization, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation takes no position for opposing or supporting any candidates for public office. With that in mind, I'll turn it over to Josh to begin, uh, begin this forum. Josh. Good evening. I'm, I'm Josh Davidsberg. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take care of a little bit of housekeeping, and then we'll jump right into it. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce the candidates. We have Stuart Pittman. Stuart Pittman was raised on Doden Farm in Anne Arundel County. After graduating from the University of Chicago with a degree in political science and Latin American studies, Stewart worked as a community organizer in Chicago and Des Moines. He moved back to Doden Farm in 1990 and worked in Washington, D.C., first as field director for the National Low Income Housing Coalition, then as national campaigns director for ACORN. He also took over Doden Farm's hay production and became a nationally recognized trainer of horses. Stewart was president of the Maryland Horse Council for four years and still serves on the organization's executive committee. Stewart is on the board of the Anne Arundel County Farm Bureau as well as the Anne Arundel County Soil Conservation District Board. County Executive Steve Shu was elected to office in 2014. Steve was raised in Crofton, is a graduate of Severn School in Suburban Park, and served in the House of Delegates for eight years representing District 31. He holds a bachelor's degree. He holds a bachelor's degree in economics and government from Dartmouth College. 
and master's degrees in business and in education from Harvard University, Johns Hopkins University. Steve is also a graduate of the Leadership Anne Arundel County Flagship Program. Steve serves on the boards of directors of the United Way of Central Maryland, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, Shock Trauma at the University of Maryland, Baltimore Metropolitan Council, and the Economic Alliance of Greater Baltimore. Okay, so I'm gonna go over some of the form rules and procedures. I met with the candidates uh, beforehand and we went over the rules, but I'm gonna explain them to you as well. First, I wanna say, make sure you silence your cell phones, turn off your cell phones, and no cameras or audiovisual uh, recording devices permitted except for those that have already been uh, approved by the sponsors. <clears throat> Any records of the form are property of the sponsors and may not be used without their permission. No campaign signs or banners except in the back of the room. Is there, where's the table for the, the campaign signs? Uh, they are outside the lobby area. Outside in the lobby area. If you have any campaign paraphernalia, outside in the lobby area. The order of questions to the candidates was determined by coin toss prior to our program. The county executive won the coin toss. Um, the form format will consist of a series of questions to the candidates posed by me, the moderator. Form sponsors prepared the first three questions. They'll be followed by questions submitted by you, the audience. <coughs> questions must deal with responsibilities of a county executive and must not be personal. We will screen the questions over here, but if you have any questions, you can give them to Anna in the back. Anna, can you raise your hand back there? If you have any more questions, she's got the, the cards. It, the two-minute time limit for responses to the questions will be strictly enforced. We have timers here keeping strict time, and they've got three signs. They've got a green sign, a yellow sign, and a red sign. The green <laughs> sign says one minute, the yellow sign says 30 seconds, and the red sign says stop. The candidates will hear a bell, and they'll have to finish up uh, within 10 seconds. And at the end, each candidate will be allowed a two-minute uh, closing statement. And of course, please, please, please hold your applause until the end of the program. Okay, so we're going to dive right into the first question. The general development plan, I'm going to give a little background on this question first for the audience so that you understand. The general development plan, also known as the GDP, is Anne Arundel County's comprehensive plan to guide land use in Anne Arundel County. It's used to capitalize on its assets and conserve critical resources. It's prepared in compliance with the state requirements and guidelines. Adopted by the County Council, the GDP establishes policies and recommendations to guide land use decisions over a 20-year planning time frame. All master plans and development regulations adopted by the county must be consistent with the goals, policies, and recommendations of the GDP. Currently, there are a number of development scenarios that could be adopted by the Anne Arundel County Council. What is your view of the path forward for Anne Arundel County, and how will you use the future development plan process in making land use decisions for county residents? Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here this evening and being engaged in our local democracy. And I would like to thank Josh and CBF and the League of 
uh, women's voters for uh, organizing this event. And would ask each of you to please uh, keep in your prayers and thoughts Kinsey Potter, who passed away on Saturday after uh, many decades of advocacy on behalf of our community and the environment. Uh, the GDP is incredibly important. It occurs at least once every 10 years under state law, and it will determine where areas will be developed, what areas will be preserved, where the roads go, where the schools go, every matter of land use decision. So it's very important that each of you is involved in that process by informing us where you uh, views about your, your development priorities and preservation priorities. We've made a lot of very important reforms to the GDP process over the last several years as part of my administration. We recognize a lot of shortcomings in that process. We've now implemented an entirely new planning cycle whereby we will engage in general development planning for two years, then zoning, and then five years of legally required small area planning for the first time. We've also increased avenues of citizen involvement in the process. Our priorities as an administration are several. Number one, we are going to hold the line on the portions of the landmass of Anne County that are open for development and those that are in preservation categories of zoning. We will not support wholesale upzoning in Emerald County. And in fact, I've already put a moratorium on upzoning in Anne County as we go through the GDP process. We've also made modifications, that's a funny way to put it, but we've made modifications to the modifications process and to the variance process, and we're seeing excellent results uh, from those reforms in terms of tightening the screens for projects getting through our pipeline. And finally, we will be discouraging high-density, large-scale apartment construction in Anne County because we all know what those do to our roads and to our schools. Thank you. Well, thank you, CBF, the League of Women Voters. It's a huge, huge honor to be here with so many environmental advocates and community leaders. The, uh, the general development plan, which we do in 2019, is the reason that I'm running for this office. Uh, I've been very concerned about lack of public input into it. When we did our 2009 general development plan, it was preceded by a process whereby 16 communities did small area planning, and we've not done that this time. And I'm very worried about the composition of the Citizens Advisory Board that's been appointed recently and what the county will look like if we allow not only increased density, but we don't make a plan to limit development in this county, to increase forest conservation, to have a, a, a no net loss forest conservation bill in the county, and, and to really start treating our Department of uh, Planning and, and Zoning, as well as inspections and permits, as advocates for the environment. So we've seen development happening in places we thought it wouldn't happen. If you looked at the 2009 plan or the, or the small area plans, you would be shocked at, at the developments that have taken place in areas that we thought they wouldn't. We've, in our campaign, we've done uh, 10 of 16 community meetings as part of the campaign where we've gone to these small areas and we've looked at the plan that was done in the early 2000s and asked people what they think. And it's a consistent message across the board in every one that we've done so far. It's concern about reckless development and people feel it in traffic or crowded schools, services, police and fire not keeping up with the growth that we've had and infrastructure, of course. So I believe that we can have a path forward in this county that is fiscally and environmentally responsible and that by having a, a director of environmental policy in this county, which we've never had, we can coordinate the six agencies that all work on the environment and we can meet our 2025 goals for the cleanup of the bay. 
What's your approach to manage the impacts of development on natural resources, including forests and waterways? I think we switched the order on the second. So. Please. Sure. <laughs> what is your approach to manage the impacts of development on natural resources, including forests and waterways? Well, the impact of development on forests is to destroy them. So we have to stop the development to save the forests. We have been, we've lost uh, 3,000 acres in the last 10 years, second only to Prince George's County. We've replanted 300 acres, and the state forest conservation law is not strong enough. We tried to strengthen it last year. I hope that CBF, well, you won't be doing the lobbying, LCV, others will, will manage to get that done this year. If, if they don't, we will do what Annapolis did. We will do what Frederick County is looking at, and we will do our own known at lost forest conservation bill. But once the forest is gone, then we have to invest in all the watershed protection and restoration um, that, the, uh, that, that we lose from the forest. So uh, it's not a matter of only making sure that when we do have development, we protect forests. There, there are development plans where they can save uh, as many trees as possible, but we just don't have a way to replace all the trees that we take down. And then the, uh, I mean, all of the impact fees are too low on development, but particularly the, the pay in lieu that the developers pay when they take down the forest, it's estimated to be about one-sixth of the cost of remediation for the loss of the forest. Um, the other resources that we lose are, I mean, there's farmland, open space. We have not done nearly as well at land preservation in the county as we did early in the Janet Owens administration when we were preserving a lot of farms and a lot of open space. We need to get back to that. Um, the governor's actually provided funding in the budget for it, and the normal county needs to compete. So um, there's a lot that we need to be doing. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, let me start with uh, the, the water. Uh, among our most important priorities for my administration is cleaning up the waterways. And we've launched the largest waterway cleanup effort in Duke County history. Okay, pardon? Oh. Okay, lost some time here. We've launched the largest waterway cleanup effort in Anne Arundel County history. 300 different projects in every corner of this county, and it is having an impact. I don't know if you know this, but under the Chesapeake Bay Foundation rating system, the water quality today in the Chesapeake Bay is better than it has been since the mid-1940s. It's incredible, the progress. Not just because of our administration, but because of the actions of so many people over a long period of time, it's paying off. Um, in terms of drinking water, we've just completed upgrading the Cox Creek, the Cox Creek Water Treatment Plan. We now have the finest drinking water, public drinking water, probably anywhere in the country. And I've recently ordered the Department of Public Works to begin studying ways in which we can replenish and avoid depletion of our aquifers, which within a reasonable time frame will become depleted. In terms of forest, we did have a very significant problem with forestry uh, preservation. The fund that was supposed to be used for planting trees was not being used for planting trees because of constraints emanating from state law and other factors. We have begun uh, a series of programs that are designed to accelerate the county's tree planting process. And we're also working with the state to change state law in a way that will allow us to plant more trees. And then uh, lastly, in terms of preservation, we are being very aggressive about preserving sensitive lands, particularly waterfront areas. We just recently announced 
the purchase of Turtle Run, which will become part of Franklin Point State Park and will be a wonderful regional park for South County. And we've also announced the purchase of 160 acres of land in the North County area that will be preserved and will become a regional park like a quiet waters park for that community. Thank you. What would be your approach to preventing or reducing traffic congestion on streets and highways in Anne Arundel County? I'll start with you, Ken. Uh, traffic congestion is driving everybody crazy and has been uh, a plague on our county for a while. We're taking uh, a couple of approaches. First, we have reversed the shortfall in maintenance funding that existed when our administration came in, uh, that the maintenance funds for county roads. We are now not only spending what we need to maintain our roads, but to actually improve them. It may be the first time ever since the beginning of charter government in Anne County that the county was spending enough money to improve the roads rather than allow them to gradually deteriorate. So good progress there. But the bigger problem is the state roads. If you look at the top 100 bottlenecks in Anne County, the first 74 are state roads. You don't get to a county road until number 175, so the, until, re, until number 75, which is Riva Road, ironically, very close by. The, um, the problems with the numbered roads, Route 2, Ritchie Highway, Route 3, Crane Highway, it's 97, Route 50, 175, 214 down in May, it's all the, the numbered roads. So we've begun serious discussions with the Hope Administration, the Department of Transportation, to bring them back to Anne Arundel County in a big way over the next several years to address those terrible traffic bottlenecks here in Anne Arundel County. Um, the third piece is improving our system of mass transit. In Anne Arundel County, mass transit doesn't really mean trains or subways. What it really means is effective networks of buses, both for commuters who are going to Washington or Baltimore, but just as importantly, if not more importantly, Buses that will take people from lower income communities, particularly our public housing communities, to job centers. When our administration arrived, it became very obvious to me pretty quickly that we had no strategy whatsoever, not any leadership whatsoever, when it came to mass transit. Now we do. We have an excellent transit officer who's resolving those problems of getting the buses to get people from home to work. Thank you. I was at uh, in Jessup last night, uh, which is up uh, near Hanover by the um, Fort Meade, and traffic up in there on 175 is almost impossible to get through. And right on the corner where we had the meeting, there were three development projects that were about to get approved that were gonna increase the traffic there, and there was no plan uh, to, to remediate that traffic. The developers always tell us at the community meetings that, well, the traffic study comes later in the process, don't worry, we'll take care of that. Um, the, the state fortunately passed, if you look at your CBF scorecard, there's a complete streets program that, that was funded at the state level. So we have to compete for that money and that funds, it funds sidewalks to get people off the streets, it funds, it funds bike lanes and it fund, funds um, public transportation, which gets people off the street. I believe that we need more, not less public transportation. I think it's a bad idea to say, as, as my opponent did write a letter to the state saying that we need to uh, reduce service on the light rail coming into the county, close down two stations, and only run at essential hours, because that's how people get to work at the mall, and they get to work even at the casino, and they come down to the Cromwell station, they get on the bus, and they ride to work. So public transportation is ab absolutely important. It's, it's the only way at this point, without kicking people out of the county, which we can't do, 
to get people off the roads. And we can't just continue to widen roads. There are places where we're going to have to widen roads. There's no question about that. And we have to fund that. But to me, public transportation, uh, making it possible to ride a bicycle um, in this county and making it possible to walk in a community, even the communities that are supposed to be designed as town centers. Odenton Town Center, we had our small area meeting there and people were complaining that you have a sidewalk on this block, no sidewalk here, sidewalk to nowhere they call it because there's been no planning and we need to get back to smart growth planning. In some cases, the county has allowed developers to avoid reforestation requirements by preserving existing forests. What's your position on this? I'll start with you, Mr. Pitt. There are times where I think that can work. However, if you live on the Mayo Peninsula, you know about Turnbull Estates where a developer just cut down seven and a half acres and he was given permission to do so because he bought some land that was already protected. Um, down at, uh, the county executive talked about uh, Turtle Run, the Charlie Snyder, the Snyder development guy who thought it was a good idea to move development rights into um, the critical area. And the county supported him after 10 years of not supporting him and came up with this theory that he could do so. Thank God the Critical Area Commission, CBF, and a lot of the community groups in the area got together, got a lawyer, and stopped it. But what had already happened on that land, which I found outrageous, is that Snyder had cut down trees and been fined for it. So this $2.6 million purchase we made two weeks ago with county money actually was money from the funds that developers pay uh, when they cut down trees. So it was the tree money being paid to Charlie Snyder to buy his land at an inflated price, probably double what it was worth. We have an appraisal that shows this. And he got that money back. Um, I think that, you know, on the question of whether or not to preserve land with the money from the trees, I would rather see trees replanted, but we do need to spend the money to do something positive and we haven't been. We actually paid $18,000 per acre for 140 pristine acres uh, in South County adjacent to Franklin Point State Park. It was a wonderful purchase and right exactly on the appraised value. Um, I don't 100% understand the question because we don't, the county does not allow anybody to get out of the requirements of reforestation. They generally have three options. They have to either replant on site at the site of the development, and that can be anywhere in a ratio of one to one to sometimes three to one if they're in the critical area and it varies by circumstances and type of development. Or if that doesn't work, they can plant at a, at a tree farm, a tree bank type place, which are commercial enterprises that allow people to plant. And the third option is paying into the fee and lieu fund. So they pay a fee and dollars per tree, and then it goes into the fund, it's the responsibility of the county to then plant the trees. That's the problem I was getting at earlier. When we, when our administration showed up four years ago, $8 million had, include, had, had grown into that fund, and the county was having a lot of trouble planting trees. So we talked to the community college, the FAA, the state, everybody who would listen to us to get more land available for planting trees, we've had some pretty good luck. But the real solution is gonna be some changes in state law, and I, I think we're pretty close to having consensus with the state to allow us to plant trees on private lands more easily. That's really the solution, is planting trees on private land, and under current law, 
private property owners have to agree to a permanent no development easement and almost no one will ever agree to such a thing. So our strategy is, hey, let's, how about if we get them to agree to 20 years or something like something reasonable so we can get these trees in the ground? That's probably the direction we'll go. Thank you. And I'm gonna start back with you, County Executive. Would you support a bill that prevents developers from donating while they are submitting a project? Uh, such a bill is unnecessary. It's been long, long standing county policy uh, that uh, we do not accept uh, we do not accept contributions uh, from developers if they have active permits. The same is also true of people with lawsuits uh, running between them and the county. If there's any kind of conflict of interest um, presenting itself through contributions, you know, we turn it down. Uh, I, I actually personally review every single solitary contribution that comes to my campaign, and I sign off on whether it's eligible for caching or, or must be returned, and I do routinely turn them. And uh, you know, let me just say, I'm, I'm very grateful for the people that support my campaign through their financial contributions. I know those dollars don't come easily to people, and it makes me, uh, it gives me courage that people do from time to time write me checks because I, I think it means we're on the right track and, right track and they believe in, in me and, and my mission. Now, all that being said, uh, I don't know what the individual practices of the county councilmen are. If the, if the suggestion is applying that law to the county council, um, I, I would support that, and I think, in fact, we have suggested to the county council that they, that they would be well advised to adopt that type of a law, but uh, for obvious reasons, that's uh, not been very well received by, by our friends on the council. Thank you. Well, I, I do look forward to the return of all the funds from developers who have applications pending in the county that have gone to the county executive. I will return all mine as well, um, and I think it'll level the playing field. The, I'm glad this question was asked because I've been talking about this throughout the campaign. Prince George's County cleaned up the mess that they had with pay to play by introducing legislation that bans campaign contributions from developers when they have applications pending. And we all know that most of the major developers in this county always have applications pending, always have something in the pipeline. And I don't think there's a single one that has not maxed out to citizens, citizens to elect Steve Shue. Um, that's the way county politics has gone for a long time. And I'm not saying it's just Steve Shue, it's county executives before him. We, uh, it got worse in this county when we started buying land from the same people who have these applications pending. So the Charlie Snyder purchase or the, the rubble landfill that, that uh, the county executive was talking about turning into a park in North County is a rubble landfill that they can't sell. It's a campaign donor, of course, and that's $22 million that we would be buying on 30-year bonds. And, and that kind of stuff, I don't think it's intentional. It's just, it just makes our county look bad. And I think when we do pass this bill, it has to be done by the General Assembly. We get our delegation to support it. It doesn't affect them. It affects the county executive and county council. And no more campaign contributions when they have applications pending. And our, our county politics will be a lot more level. So let's stay with transparency. Transparency is important to participating in government. Would you make any changes to increase the transparency and environmental actions taken by the Anne Arundel County government? Absolutely, yes. When we go around to our small, our, our community meetings, I bring a guy with me who works actually for Prince George's County, he lives in Anne Arundel, and he runs the county stat office there. 
and he has showed me what they've done in Prince George's County. You can click on your neighborhood, and there's a website that comes up, and it shows you not only the goals that were set for that community, and all kinds of data that county government has that we don't usually see, organized and mapped for your community, and including in, in that is any development project that is anywhere in the pipeline. Click you go, opens up the status, all the documents you need, and you can find out exactly what's going on. So it makes it much more easy for citizens to get engaged. And you know, as a longtime community organizer, I know that by giving information to people, it allows them to engage with their government and feel like they're part of what's going on, and the whole system works a whole lot better. So I look forward to a county staff office and much more transparency in Anne Arundel County. We've taken some significant steps to improve citizen engagement, uh, particularly in matters pertaining to land planning and the environment. Uh, on the GDP, we have formed a citizens commission, an advisory commission of citizens who applied for these positions and, um, and uh, are now uh, formed in that work, advising us and our land use departments in the GDP process. Uh, we have also expanded the notification requirements for new development. So it used to be, I believe, 150 or 175 feet from a new development. The neighbors would have to be notified. Now it's 300 feet. And finally, we've eliminated the um, ability that the planning officer had to waive the public hearing requirement to allow developers to proceed with the development without public hearing. That is no longer legal. So they will always be subject to a public meeting. On the small area plans, um, I think there's some, maybe some misunderstandings based on some things I've been hearing, but under the small area plan process that is now law, uh, and that will begin in about a year and a half, excuse me, it'll begin in about a year and a half, the uh, small areas will each be uh, represented by another citizen commission of at least, I believe, nine members. So there will be, depending upon how many small areas there are for planning purposes, it could be eight, it was 16, that's too many. Um, seven is probably not enough, even though that corresponds to council districts, so we think the sweet spot might be eight. But if there were eight small area plans, that means there would be eight citizen committees each attached to one of those planning areas advising uh, our department. So uh, that, that's a long way of saying that we're, we're doing a lot to improve citizen engagement and involvement in all these processes. And I'm always open to suggestions if you have any other thoughts on how we can make our processes more transparent and uh, involve the public. Thank you. Okay. Can you repeat the question? Is it my turn? Oh. You go, you go dancing. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What are your plans for solar and renewable energy for in the county? Uh, in terms of solar energy, I believe there is a role for solar energy. And uh, I did support, when I was a state delegate prior to my years as county executive, I did support uh, solar energy on multiple occasions and uh, supported for increasing the renewable portfolio to 20% of our total energy portfolio. So I, I think there's a role for solar, but I think it has to be in the right place um, because it has the potential to disturb neighborhoods and to be uh, very destructive of vistas and rural lands. So uh, it was clear to me uh, about <laughs> nine months ago that there was a problem, that there was an influx of large-scale 
uh, solar farms uh, that would be located in South County and I think dramatically and negatively affect the bucolic nature of our South County community. So I placed a six month moratorium on those types of facilities to give the County Council and, and my staff time to study. We, based on the feedback from our uh, Agricultural uh, and Agritourism Commission have come to what I think is a reasonable compromise. We will allow small-scale community solar projects. I believe below 20 acres was the uh, compromise. So these will be relatively small. They will have to. They will be subject to setbacks so that they're not right in, in, in the visible portion of the of the, of the view of the view shed. Um, Thirty seconds. Um, the. The rest of the, the other renewable portfolio uh, sources are really not so much subject to county law or regulation. The state of Maryland pretty much uh, controls the rest of the portfolio. What we do is you know, we permit. And uh, outside of solar, I'm trying to think if there are any other areas where the county uh, has a big, has a big uh, role. I, and I don't, I don't think we do. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Pitt. Yeah, I was in the thick of the South County solar thing, and the county bungled it. What happened was that our state passed community solar legislation, and the counties that were on the ball understood that there would be proposals coming in from solar developers, and that they should zone in a way so that there was community input, and that they could get these developed these solar solar panels on farms that are usually eight or ten acres um, placed in, in, in areas where people would support them, and we did not do that. And five companies came in with plans to put solar farms. And they contracted with farmers. In some cases, they bought the farms. In most cases, they rented it. There was community opposition, mainly one or two of them that were very close to where people lived. And it became a hot topic. And so the county executive created an eight-month moratorium and then uh, worked to create legislation after the fact uh, for these projects to go through. Then they found out just a few weeks ago that the moratorium wouldn't actually stand up in court. So the five projects weren't really going to be affected by the new legislation. I met with some of these solar developers, and I felt sorry for them. I mean, they invested a huge amount of money trying to do something right, trying to comply with the law, come into the county according to our laws, and then they got slapped in the face, and then they waited for eight months, and who knows what's going to happen now. Uh, we'll see. But I think that the way it should have been done, and the way it'll be done if I'm county executive, is that we will sit down, economic development is there, to work with developers, these are developers, to work with businesses and help them place their operations in places that will have community support. So we have places in this county where we can put solar. Uh, there's one proposal already to do it at Crownsville Hospital Center, where it's not farmland that's being used. Um, it's a great place for it. I think that there's farmland that can be used for solar, and I'm a farmer. But I think it has to be in places where people support it, where it's not right next to somebody's you know, back window, um, because it is a real change in the landscape. But I'm a huge fan of solar. We have a huge barn with solar panels uh, powering our whole farm and three houses. How will you reduce runoff and seepage of toxic waste into our creeks, rivers, and bay from abandoned commercial properties, Mr. Pittman? Abandoned commercial properties? I thought you were going to say from development sites. I hope that question's coming too, because that's a big one. Um, from abandoned commercial properties. Wow, I'm stumped on that one. I mean, I assume the EPA is involved in this, um, and it depends on the commercial properties, whether or not they have toxic chemicals involved. Um, 
And uh, obviously we have, I mean, we have all kinds of runoff issues and all kinds of stormwater remediation issues and the abandoned, abandoned commercial sites uh, where nobody's taking responsibility are probably the toughest ones of all. Um, and it all depends on who the ownership is, but I would go after them and I would go after them, you know, with all the legal um, power that we can muster at the county level and uh, uh, address the issues. Um, the, the subject of, of dangerous chemicals getting into the environment has been a subject of interest to me for, for a dozen years now when I started as a delegate and uh, over the years I voted against where I voted to ban bisphenol, phosphorus, arsenic, I voted to improve the critical areas laws in ways that would prevent the leaching of dangerous chemicals into the environment. And as county executive, we were uh, responsible for banning the coal tar for, for very similar reasons. The, um, the challenge of failed businesses that leave behind uh, a decrepit and failing structure is, 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 is very challenging. Um, for example, the Nevermar facility is, I think, illustrative of our approach. When, when a business fails, this is a, a large plant out in Odenton uh, that failed many years ago. It was a derelict structure. Um, our Economic Development Corporation worked with private in industry to bring in new investors to repurpose the facility. It has now been cleared. It's a brownfields development project. The buildings, the old buildings are gone and beautiful new structures are coming up out of the ground and repurposing uh, that, that site. Um, we also have very active uh, cleanup projects. For example, Hot Sox Field down in South County, there's a serious waste and dump problem. Lots of tires, washing machines. The county uh, working with community groups has been busy digging all that stuff out of the woods and, and getting it out of the environment where it's been leaching chemicals for many, many years. Um, so I, I, I would say that those are our two basic strategies, working with private interests to redevelop failed properties so that they don't leach chemicals into the environment, and working with private entities through just good hard work, elbow grease, cleaning up dump sites. Thank you. County Executive, back to you. What do you think about a new Bay Bridge span in Anne Arundel County? <laughs> well, it's, it's clear from projections that there needs to be uh, another span over the Bay Bridge. The question is, should it be in the Baltimore City area, should it be in Anne Arundel County, or should it be down in Calvert County near uh, Calvert Cliffs? There are pros and cons uh, to each of those locations. I would, I, I don't have an opinion because I'm not an engineer, but as county executive, the last thing I want is to see more cars on Route 50 coming through in Randall County and on their way to Ocean City. Um, that's uh, you know, not a great situation. That being said, uh, it's, it's probably uh, pretty obvious to all of us that the least expensive route is gonna be somehow piggybacking those existing spans because the shorelines on either sides of the bridge have already been disturbed. They've already been subject to impervious uh, surfacing, and the stretch of the bay involved has already been permitted by the Fed. So it's, uh, it's going to come as no surprise to me if the answer, after the next several years of study, because it's going to take several years of environmental study, comes back and says, guess what, in Arundel County, the, you know, the bullseye is on, on the other. 
Yeah, it's really hard to say you should um, mess up somebody else's environment, but not ours. It's all connected. It's all part of the bay. Um, and uh, um, that's what's going to happen you know, when they put in another, another bridge. Um, it's going to be an environmental disaster. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help with traffic, of course. But um, I think we need to be working with Queen Anne's County and with the state on the tolls. And we need to price the tolls so that they're higher during the high traffic times so that we move people into lower traffic times. Um, but um, no good answers there. Um, the, uh, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Given the two and a half foot predicted rise in the water level of the bay by 2050, should we restrict development in areas that will be affected? Yeah, and that has to be part of our 2019 general development plan. We have to be looking at the projected rise in the water levels. Um, it's it's going to be expensive, and we have to plan for that um, in budget budgetarily as well. And uh, it's one of the toughest things. I mean, people have been denying climate change, and now we're at the point where it's too late, and we have to actually um, adapt to it. And we have to adapt to it in Annapolis, and we have to work with the city of Annapolis. But we have communities uh, on the water here. Um, I was down in. in um, Cape Ann County Executive was there too, right at water level. And you can just imagine what's going to happen uh, for those homes um, with just another foot of water. So um, it's going to be expensive. We have to plan for it, absolutely. And that's why we do a general development plan. It's a 20-year plan. At the end of 20 years, things are going to look different. There, there's two sides to the uh, coin of rising sea levels uh, here in Emerald County. One part of it is actual rise in the water level that is affecting and will affect over time the critical area. Uh, I have voted over the years to strengthen our critical area laws as a legislator. I now make sure that our uh, enforcement personnel are rigorous in their enforcement and uh, we do not show a lot of mercy to people who violate the critical area laws uh, here in our county. But the other side of the coin that people don't think about is the falling levels of the landmass. The actual, the actual measured rise in the seas, particularly in places like Annapolis, um, are a result not just of rising water, but of falling land, just like Venice. And it, we believe about half of this phenomenon is attributable to recession of the land and only, and only another half to increasing water volume. So what's causing that? What's causing that is gradual depletion of the aquifers. We depend on three or four major aquifers under Inland County. They're vast bodies of water, oceans of water, but it takes many, many years, like decades or thousands of years for water to enter the entry points along the Piedmont area, which is basically 295 and 95, that area. The water enters there, travels through the aquifers under Inland County and heads off to the eastern shore. It takes probably 10,000 years for the drip of water glass glass water you drank today to have gotten to where we pumped it out. But it, those, those aquifers are gradually depleting. So I ordered the Department of Public Works to begin early stage studies of technologies that will allow us to begin the process of replenishing those aquifers and thereby preventing further drop in the level of the land. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about critical areas. A 2016 report from UMD found that Anne Arundel County approves 88% of all variances in the critical area. 
Is that okay? If yes, why? If no, how would you change it? We'll start with the county executive. The, uh, when, when I came into office, one of the things that uh, became obvious after some time working with our land use departments is that the county did not have a rigorous enough process of reviewing uh, variances or modifications. There are probably 300 or so, excuse me, there are probably a thousand or so modifications issued every year. Uh, a very small fraction of those, under 1% actually, were uh, turned down uh, for most prior administrations and early in my administration. Uh, under our new planning officer and our completely reorganized uh, planning and zoning department and our new administrative hearings officer who handles variances, we've seen an 11-fold increase in the uh, rejection of modifications. Uh, and the variances, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but we get about 300 variance requests per year. And uh, only a very small fraction of those were turned down. The rate of de declination, I guess is the right word, right? The rate of turndown uh, is, is dramatically higher than it was uh, in, in the past. So I think we've done a very good job tightening these things up. However, it's, it's a lot of people think all modifications are bad, all variances are bad. They're not. The vast majority of them are reasonable. They are at the county's request. It's, it's a way that we manage projects to make them better. If someone has a legal right to build something, we use the variance and modification process to make that, that development fit the geography of the land because the, the code is broadly written. It can't contemplate every topography, every strangely shaped piece of the land. So it's through variances and modifications that we make developments fit they're going to come anyway. That's what people don't understand. They're, those developments are going to come if somebody has a legal right. It's just a question of what exactly does it look like. We do our best to make them fit the property. Thank you. No, I don't think it's okay for uh, our county to have approved so many more variances. And I agree that modifications are even worse. And it wasn't until this year, I guess when I got into the race, that there was an effort by the county to reduce the number of modifications and variances. I think it was 50% was the, the, the goal. Um, and it's true that some modifications are as simple as the way somebody builds a porch. But uh, the modifications that, um, that are really hurting us are in the critical area. Um, the critical area commission, after the, the fiasco with the county trying to help Snyder development down at Turtle Run, sent a letter to county plan and zoning saying, you all are violating the critical area. You, you have to come up with a new plan for how you implement critical area law in Anne Arundel County. You're in violation. You can't be you know, transferring development rights into the county. Um, but <clears throat> Gerald Weingrad actually wrote a letter to the Capitol that I have right here about this whole issue of the numbers of variances. And his concern was that Doug Holman, whose wife uh, wrote the critical area law, created the Stewart Watershed Stewards Academy, um, Doug Holman was fired. Uh, an administrative hearing officer had never been fired. He's the guy, he's the judge that oversees these hearings on, on variances. And, um, and uh, John Hodgson was brought in. He was John Leopold's attorney when all of that happened and he was defending John Leopold. And so we have now an administrative hearing officer who unfortunately is 
a political appointee. And the concern from developers and from many of us is that this administrative hearing officer position is very important. We had a very fair, very well-respected person um, who was respected on both sides. And it's a very, very sensitive uh, process, these variances, and we need to make sure that we have somebody in there who's independent of the county executive. I think we need a charter amendment that allows the county council to approve the hiring of an administrative hearing officer so the county executive doesn't have complete control. What is your position on sewer line extensions to the existing sewage treatment plants in the county? I'll start with you, Mr. Pivot. Well, when you extend sewer lines, you're inviting development. Um, there's a sewer master plan, uh, sewer and water, that um, there's a map that I was looking at down at the county a few weeks ago, and uh, it went into areas that were not developed yet, and I don't think it should go into those areas. If it's going into areas, uh, you know, we all know about the Mayo Peninsula, um, where they've just recently got onto, got onto sewer, and that's clearly a good thing when we have failing septic systems. Um, it increases the amount of volume going to the, to the treatment uh, plants, and we are gonna get to the point where, I think we're very close to it already, where the capacity of those plants um, is, is uh, gonna be full. So again, it's a question of how are we gonna be, we haven't even talked about our TMDL goals, but um, you know, we did well on those, those plants uh, because we were improved with state money over the last six or seven years, and we're gonna be in a position where we're getting behind again on that, and it's, it's a function of development and growth, and if we keep adding sewer and adding houses to the sewer, um, we're gonna be further behind than we were. County Executive. As we were all discussing earlier, we are now underway with the next general development plan, and our administration is bringing certain uh, very fundamental principles to that process. One is that we will resist upzoning, particularly high-density upzoning that promotes the development of townhouses and apartments that bring in large numbers of new people to the county and clog the schools and the roads. The second is that to the extent development takes place, we will attempt as best we can to guide development under principles of smart growth to places that have infrastructure, school infrastructure, road infrastructure. Um, the third principle is preserving our rural and open space lands. One of the most significant pieces of legislation ever introduced in this county was introduced by my administration. Uh, Ashley Stewart and I worked together on that bill. We called it the Rural Conservation Line. It would have placed 51% of the land mass of the county into preservation status and failed. That was very disappointing to me. The magic of the 51% is that under current zoning, 51% of Anne Arundel County, the landmass, is in rural or open space zoning categories and 49% is developable or developed. Our fundamental guiding principle is that we will hold the line there. The fourth and final, and maybe the most important, is the sewer. The sewer is immensely destructive to the environment and completely contradictory to anybody's goals of preserving our rural open space lands. Without the sewer, there would be no Glen Burnie. There would be no Hong Kong. The, those developments, intensive development happens and can only happen with sewer. So we will not extend the sewer one inch beyond the current planned service areas, current planned and future service areas, that's it. It's not gonna go an inch further under our administration. Okay, I think we have time for one more question. 
that right? Yep. There are many county-owned waterfront properties located within communities. What will you do to make those points of water access accessible to county residents? Well, did you plant that question? They wouldn't let me. Mike Lofton is the chief of Inland County's uh, Water Access Commission. Water access is an incredible priority. Uh, only 3% of all the waterfront, all 530 miles of it in Inland County, is in public hands. The rest is tied up in private ownership and inaccessible to most people who do not live in waterfront communities. So, what we set out to do was make the water more accessible to people throughout Inland County. In furtherance of that, I set a goal of opening a boat ramp on the north and south shore of every major river in the county. We've opened two so far, Fort Smallwood and Discovery Village in the Shady Side, and we have six more to go to give everyone full trailer boat access. We're opening beaches for the first time in decades. Uh, we've opened Sports Smallwood to swimming. It's absolutely fabulous. And we're working on uh, improving other parks throughout the county to give people more access to, to swimming beaches. We are building canoe and kayak launches all over the place so quickly. I don't even know how many, but I believe we've opened 20 or 25 now. Do you have the number? Somewhere in there, 2025? 22. 22. Uh, I couldn't just say, yeah, that's right. And a uh, and little side thing, but important to me, we are putting campgrounds in, in about one mile increments along the entire length of the Patuxent River with little fire rings, picnic tables, a place to pitch a tent so that you can canoe the full length of the Patuxent and have a nice camping trip with your, with your family. So I'm all about water access, but I will tell you, I have never seen such violent community reaction. When you tell a community there's a boat ramp or a swimming beach coming to their neighborhood, but I, I found out in this job sometimes it's, it's the greatest good for the greatest number and you just have to kind of you know, grind through those kinds of challenges. Thank you. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I am, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of uh, water access. It's a federal mandate, and uh, Barack Obama was the person who said, we need water access. So you and him, you and he are, are on the same page, Steve, on that one. <laughs> the, um, um, and we're moving forward. I mean, I met with Mike Lofton, and I think it's important. I think like any development project, especially when we're talking about boat ramps or parks that have a big impact on the local community, you can't do it without going to the community first and getting community buy-in. Whether it's solar, whether it's whether it's water access, whether it's um, or whether it's a housing development. Um, the you know one of the parts that I think that we haven't utilized as well as we should is the marinas, the commercial marinas that we have. Um, I think for less money in some cases we could contract with those marinas to allow people to use them um, with their boats rather than, than building their own. There's an interesting part of all this, and I worked very closely with the folks in Mayo um, about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, going back to this question of, um, of rural the rural conservation line bill that I did support. And that bill did not actually put land in, in preservation status. It simply said that in order to upzone, to spot zone outside of the general uh, development plan, outside of comprehensive rezoning, you had to get five votes instead of four on the county council. It didn't pass, and the reason it didn't pass is that the other communities all said, well, why not us? Why shouldn't it be five votes for us to have upzone? We don't want upzone in our communities either. either. And that was the moment when I realized, I looked around at my friends in the Civic Association's Growth Action Network, and I thought, there's a county-wide issue here. There is actually a movement in this county that hasn't really gotten rolling to come up with an alternative to the kind of growth, the kind of redevelopment 
policies that we've had, and uh, that's when I decided that I should run for county executive. And that's the end of our question and answer portion. I'm sorry if we didn't get to everyone's questions. We had a ton of questions. We're gonna move into the closing remarks. Each candidate gets two minutes for closing remarks. And County Executive, since you went first, Mr. Pittman will have the first closing remark. Okay. Well, it's a huge honor to be at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, you know, surrounded by environmental advocates, community leaders, and talking about how to shift the priorities of the county from this pro-growth strategy to a way to go forward that's fiscally and environmentally responsible. We have not talked about, I think, the most important thing in this room, which is meeting the goals of Chesapeake Bay by 2025. And we are way, way behind. I actually have a chart here that shows that we are nowhere. I won't show, I don't know if the rules allow charts, but um, we are way, way behind. And if we continue to develop at the rate we're, going to de we're developing, it will be impossible for us to meet those goals. You know, we are at the stage of developing our WIP 3, phase 3. We got through phase 2 and we didn't meet our goals. Phase 3 is even tougher. And a lot of the problem is because the projections of growth set us up for failure. Um, and the biggest part of that is watershed restoration and protection. I was a big supporter of having a funding mechanism to do the work over there at Eric Michelson's office to do all these projects that there have been all these great ribbon cuttings for. And uh, had the county executive gotten his way and his bill passed to, to revoke that funding mechanism, I don't think we would have had many projects. There was talk of doing it out of the general fund. But we really, really, really have to take these goals seriously. We have to pay. This is a mandate. This is a court-ordered mandate. And we and our children are going to be paying if we don't meet our goals. So it's time to get to work. And I really look forward to having an environmental policy director who can oversee this out of the county executive's office. This has never been done. And IMP, PNZ, Department of Public Works, Transportation, all these agencies are part of the solution. And we need some coordination at the county level. So I can't wait to get started. Uh, thank all of you again for being here, and uh, thanks to our sponsors, Josh, for the job. Appreciate it. Uh, Anne Arundel County is a wonderful and very special place to live, and uh, I love this place. Been here a little over 50 years. Our administration came in four years ago, determined to help the positive momentum in this county continue for years to come, and we've been busy implementing our five-point plan to do exactly that. We have instituted historic tax cuts during our time in office, four years of tax cuts in a row. We have dramatically altered the direction of school construction in this county. We've launched the largest school construction effort in county history, 17 schools in development, and four straight years of teacher pay increases. We've done similar work in public education, in public safety to push back against gangs and drug dealers. We face very serious threats. We're taking those threats very seriously. We've launched historic investment programs in public safety to improve uh, our ability to keep you and your family safe. We have reformed county government. We've balanced the books for the first time since 2008, and we are far along into an enormous waterway cleanup program and program to build out our recreational infrastructure like boat trails, bike trails, and boat trails. But I'm not asking for people's votes for any of those reasons because that's now all in the past. What I'm asking you to consider is what we will do in the next term if you elect to send us back. We will make sure every child in this county gets a great education from a dedicated and well-paid teacher in a state-of-the-art school. We will make sure that every one of you 
is safe in your home, at work, and especially at school, and we will construct a fifth police district. We will extend a helping hand to people with challenges like mental illness, drug addiction, homelessness. They're out there, they need help, we need to get them back on their feet and to become productive members of society. And finally, we will work to preserve and enhance our way of life in, in Anne County by making sure that our waterways are clean, that you can travel from one side of the county to the other without terrible traffic jams, and knowing that our rural lands will be preserved for generations to come. Thank you again for having me. Thank you. Good evening. I'm here to thank all of you for coming. I also, of course, want to thank our candidates. I think this was quite a civil discussion, and I think we need to also thank the sponsors. I'm uh, co-chair of the Alliance for Livable Communities, the Anne Arundel County Alliance, and having all of you here is really, really important, but you don't want to forget about November 6th. You've got to vote on November 6th and get your friends. It's an important election. Thank you all for coming. Very much. This has been an update from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Twitter at ionanapolis. And be sure to subscribe to our daily news brief podcast, which is delivered every Monday through Friday to your phone or device at 7 a.m.